Well, welcome everyone to our podcast, Land and People. I'm Melissa Kamara. I'm a artist and environmentalist. I, I hesitate to use the word conservationist because Clay's going to debate me on that one. <laughs> it's always, I'm just teasing. Um, it's always my fault. <laughs> no, no, I love it. We have uh, Dr. Trowernicht here on the line, my co-host, Clay. Yeah, and I, I'm, uh, yeah, Clay Trowernicht. I work at University of Hawaii Manoa in a natural resources and environmental management department. So I do extension work related to fire and ecosystem management, watershed management. Um, And uh, yeah, through this podcast, we've been trying to talk to folks that have been involved in all kinds of watershed work, related work and education. And I mean, that's really what today, today's interview is about. Um, and trying to just understand how people kind of connect to this place uh, and, and kind of get into the work that they're doing, uh, not necessarily stay motivated. We assume they are motivated still because they're still doing the work. But that, that's a little teaser for uh, one of Pauline's comments today. But before we do that, I think Clay has something he would like to say. Uh, oh, I thought you had oh, to say it this shoot. time. Do I have to say it or do, are you going to say it? <laughs> I'll just say it. I'll okay. say it. Um, yes, uh, as always, the views and opinions expressed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the funders, employers, or other organizations that we or our guests work with. So just to put that out there, yep. um, I just I hope think that it covers does. all I think, I think we're okay. <laughs> Today's guest is Pauline Sato, who is the executive director of Malama Learning Center. And Pauline has worked for the Nature Conservancy. Really, she's been at the forefront of environmental education and outdoor learning um, and connection with Aina for a very, very long time. And um, she's a dear friend. And she is so incredibly fun. (laughs) I would use that as the first word, fun and exuberant and passionate. And I love that about our guests because... They're all very passionate in different ways, but you can really feel the energy from Pauline that she has going on decades of, of work, right, Clay? Knowing, it's like comes from knowing what you're doing is mm-hmm. is worthwhile, I think. I mean, yeah. that's really all, it's like a, the simplest way to put it. She just, there's no uh, <laughs> second thoughts there at all. And I think that really comes through as far as her enthusiasm and engagement. Um, I find it really cool is that she is the person that she's been trying to turn on to this place. Like she came from not really being connected mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, environmental things as mm-hmm. a child and mm-hmm. sort of figured it out on her own. And now that's like her whole being, right. Is like yes. trying to connect, uh, students to this place. And now the wider public, as we'll hear about, um, through, uh, the Outside Hawaii show, which she took on from her partner who passed away a couple yep. years ago. Again, you know, with the folks who've been doing this for so long, who we're interviewing first on this podcast, you're going to understand and hear the evolution of the work with environmental education. But really, it's so much more than, quote unquote, environmental education. It's really about, as we learned from Nan, connecting with people connecting yeah. with place through people. And um, we can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> Sometimes that's missing in what we're doing, which again, Clay reminds me, he's the reluctant conservationist for all the right reasons, because we often forget that it really is about connecting with people and, and each other and taking care of each other. And you're going to again hear that um, not only from Nan, who we interviewed last time, but from Pauline this time, and how it has evolved the field of of outreach and education and connecting people with Ina, connecting people with um, malaming each other, is has totally evolved in, in many yeah, ways and, over the past decades, right? And the goals are so big in the sense that it it's not that you're just trying to like rope people into these environmental careers or anything. It's just really about like there's this bigger kind of objective of raising awareness that these things are important and, you know, trying to reconnect people through these little opportunities that, that not even little opportunities in the sense that they're big opportunities when the students are able to do them, but just in the fact relative to the other stuff that they've got going on in school, Mm -hmm. it it may be a small part. You're not going to grab everybody, but still, um, 
you know, and we get into that in terms of what does that mean for careers and mm-hmm. broadening our perspective of what kind of environmental work means. And it's all kinds of things and it's all kinds of people. With that, let's introduce our next interview with Pauline Sato, Executive Director of Malama Learning Center on the island of Oahu. Welcome, Pauline. We are so excited to talk to you. I'm going to hand it over to Clay, who always starts our interviews, if you're ready. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, am I ready? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm as ready as I'll be, so we'll give it a shot. Sure. So, I mean, to say that like your work is kind of grounded here in in these in the place where you live is pretty much an understatement. But I we always start just by asking, you know, if you could tell us a little bit about, um, you know, where and how, like, in early in your life, what influenced your connection to this place, and you know how you how you kind of ended up doing the the work that you do growing up and people who may have influenced you, things like that. Wow. Okay. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty standard response. It's like, well, where do I start? (laughs) Well, you know, that that is an interesting question because um, as I really think about it, you know, I don't, I, I grew up here, right, in Hawaii, but I don't, come from a family that uh, went camping a lot or hiking or really did anything outdoors. <laughs> and, you know, I'm from Honolulu, which uh, even, you know, back when I was growing up uh, was already urban. So, yeah, how did I become so passionate about environmental conservation? That's kind of um, kind of mysterious. I, I do know, though, kind of how I was influenced, and you might find it really funny, but it, it was through my dad, who um, his name is Robert Sato, and he watched television voraciously, so I did too. This was the time when there was no cable, so there were you know maybe like four stations you could watch. Um, on, I think it was on Sunday afternoon, um, before dinner time, there was the Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Oh, yeah. I remember this. And for the younger generation, they won't know what I'm talking about. What is even Mutual of Omaha? Well, that's the sponsor, <laughs> right? The insurance company that sponsored this show. And was it some My- Myron Perkins or something? He was the host. Right. Stan Brock. That's the guy. Stan Brock was on one of the... And um, they would be going to Africa and all these places, you know, trying to talk about the big game, like the elephants and tigers and lions that would be, you know, dying for one reason or the other, um, over hunting, you know, some, some, yeah, some sad yeah. thing. So it was very emotional. Like my dad would be like, oh yeah, oh, that's horrible. You know, and I'd be like, and I, I'm like, you know, eight or so, nine. I'm like, right. oh yeah. And then there was Jacques Cousteau, the undersea world oh, of yeah. Cousteau. So that's on the Marine side and we would watch that and I'm like, oh wow, that's so fascinating. So I actually <laughs> became engaged through television of all things, not, wow. not, you know, immersed. I mean, sure, we went to the beach and that sort of thing, but I didn't know what I was looking at, you know. We like come full circle, right outside Hawaii, which I hope we'll get to talk about. Right, but. right. So that's like I, I was meant to do this. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I actually got so emotionally attached to this. I was think I was um, 10 years old. I made a commitment to myself wow. <laughs> internally. I didn't say it out loud, but I was like, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. I'm going to save these animals. That is my passion. But it wasn't about Hawaii animals, right? Because I didn't know about them. So I was like, I got to, you know, I got to go to Africa or something. And then I, when I was getting close to um, going to college, you know, trying to find a college program in wildlife or something, 
know, wildlife biology? Is that the degree? And I was like, oh, that's a lot of science. I, I like science, but not that much, you know? I mean, you know, the chemistry and all that. I'm like, oh, my God, I barely made it, you know, in high school. So, and then I thought, where am I going to work? At a zoo? You know, I don't want to work at a right. zoo. I actually, I did go to college. I went to the University of Michigan. They had a, a really good natural resources program. And it was through going to college there and taking a summer school course here at UH Manoa, where I, uh, Mark Merlin was doing uh. his Science 123 or whatever with beautiful pictures of Hawaiian species. Uh, and I took an ecology class in Michigan and I chose to do a paper on honey creepers it was not until then that I realized I got to do this in Hawaii. Got to come mm-hmm. home. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I was in college already, but mm-hmm. that that to me shows the the lack of um, type of education that now I do uh, right. about Hawaii, right? Because yeah. we didn't grow up mm-hmm. learning about the honey creepers or learning right. about Hawaiian natural history in my um high school science classes. But now I think it's um, much more common. I mean, it, yeah. it would be rare to find a school that doesn't talk about it at all. You know, not even that long ago when I was a grad student at UH and I was TAing biology and, you know, the students coming in that were mostly from here had very little exposure to any of these things, right? It was like all new to them that all the plants around campus were like not native to here and right. those kinds of things. So it is probably fairly recent that that's changing. Yeah, it, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. You're a botanist, Clay, so you, you'll um, understand this. But I took a botany class at in Michigan, uh, woody plants. And, you know, it's all these foreign plants. Like, I don't know. I didn't know a yeah. maple from an elm to, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, so I learned, you know, how to identify them from twigs, you know, because right. they, they lose their leaves, right? But then I thought, I don't even know Hawaiian plants. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What I knew yeah. was mango tree, plumeria, mm-hmm. right. um, coconuts. And I, I thought, wow, this is sad. I <laughs> I don't even know any of my plants. Well, it's so, obviously yeah. for me because I learned plants here and then I go back, you know, to the continental U.S. <laughs> oh, places and I don't, I don't know what the heck I'm looking at oh, there. So. I mean, um, Pauline, like Sheila and I were kind of mourning, Sheila Conan and I uh-huh. in our few interviews ago were kind of mourning that also because she went to Marinol, I went to Punahou and it's like we didn't know any of that. In the, in the schools back right. then. And, you know, <laughs> I guess listening to you, listening to Clay talk about incoming students, it's just not, it wasn't then maybe, um, and it is more so now. But yeah, it was a shock to me too. I have that same feeling mm-hmm. of like hiking into Kalalau when I was a teenager uh, or Hanakapiai in Kauai and just being like, this is incredible, but I don't even know what I'm looking at. And later on, realizing what you're looking at, you know, and not knowing right. that, it's kind of shocking <laughs> a little bit for those of us growing up. The introduction then is all of a sudden becomes like, well, actually, what, how come what I'm looking at, like, aren't plants from here? You know, and you're like, especially on a walk like that, where everything I'm looking at is actually from other places. And that's kind of mind boggling, too. We were like, kind of joking about that. You have to teach people, you know, and like other places like green is good, but then in Hawaii, it's like, well, green is good, but not all green, right. You know, not everything. And, and then, you know, but at the same time, people are going to connect to what they're going to connect to, right? Like my kids don't see native plants every day, but they, you know, they love mango trees, like you said, and coconut. So that's the stuff that they're, they're, they get exposed to. And unfortunately for the native plants, you have to kind of either go to the really nice coastal areas or climb the mountain. Well, I was just thinking of, of what you said, Clay, you know, um, when the mountains are green and the ocean's blue, everything's fine, right? Yeah. And and we know that if you just kind of look under the layer a little bit, that it's not fine. Um, right. But then we, I think we need to build on that, right? At, at, if people feel that way, well, at least they're paying attention, you know, yeah. at least they know the mountains are green and the ocean's blue. But then that, that might be the opening to how to teach um, more, you know, like right. on that hike that everything's invasive. Well, let's talk about that. 
where yeah. do these come from? Why are yeah. they here? And and what's the what's the issue? I'm yeah. I'm curious, like when you were in Michigan and you realized, oh, you, that just dawned on you. I need to do this back at home. Did you then? Was there a particular place that you that you found astonishing that you went to and you just looked at it? And do you have that memory? You looked at it with different eyes, knowing when I. You know, I came to that realization and then, you know, I graduated, had to try to find a job. Okay, this I'm going to say, there were very few jobs in yeah. this kind of field, especially yes. environmental education. Yep. Very, very few. So um, I was lucky to find um, a job at Moanalua Gardens Foundation, and that's mm. where Lauren Gill um was the education director there. And so he he really was my mentor in, in Hawaii. I don't know if you, any of you know Lauren, um, but I worked with him very closely. And he was uh, walking, you know, encyclopedia, as they say. He was so ahead of his time. He, you know, not a botanist, but had the mind for it. So memorized mm-hmm. as much as he could, identified as much as he could, but he was also very um, uh, aware and learned and read about Hawaiian history. Mm-hmm. So he combined that. This is in, like, I was with him in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now it's like, oh, yeah, of course, we're going to talk about biocultural conservation and combine right. that. But it wasn't typically the case then. You were either, you know, really into the sciences and conserving for the biological, you know, evolutionary reasons, or you're really into culture and knowing that. But he he bridged that. And so I was really fortunate to start my career with that knowledge of the importance of bridging the two. Yeah. Lauren is... Gary Gill's dad, is uncle. that right? Uncle, uncle, yeah, yeah. Gary's father was his brother, um, and you know now I work with Gary and the Gill yes. family quite a bit. So <laughs> another full circle. Yeah. I love that these families that have such you know b- deep roots. Right, right. So he was your mentor. He took us to Molokai. Uh, we went to Wailau Valley. Um, you know, by boat. I mean, it was crazy. We stayed there for a whole week and we're, uh, I I mean, so many crazy stories. If we have time, we can get into. We do want to hear that. Oh my God. (laughs) This is almost like, I don't even know if I should talk about it because it's like. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Because Wailau Valley, 1980s. Let's hear. I only, I never been, but I only heard from Maya Legrand about Wailau Valley. Oh, so. okay. Well, if you want to hold on to your seat. So, okay. <laughs> so Lauren, in his effort to try to preserve Hawaiian history, was like, okay, we're going to go to the back of Wailau Valley and we're going to put up these signs, these handmade wooden signs with the names of the ili. So it's the, the break, you know, not the ahupua'a, but the, the smaller division, the ili yeah. of the valley. And two signs as you're walking up the trail when you're entering the ili and as you're walking down the train trail when you're exiting the ili. I don't even know what he's talking about, right? But I'm like, Okay, so, you know, we just, a bunch of us friends go together. My friend makes the signs because he's, you know, great um, woodworker. His wife comes along. We're camping in Wailau. So we go on this hike. We're carrying the signs. We're being led by um, one of the Naki brothers who's local there. And, you know, he's going up the trail with his machete, cha-cha-cha-cha, you know, because it's overgrown. Yeah. Um, and the guys are in the front. There's only like six of us. Guys are in the front. Um, my friend's wife and I are in the back. We're holding the signs. And we're trying to find the spot to hammer the signs in the trees. And then... I was just, you know, waiting and I'm looking on the side and I see this blue tarp. We're in the middle of the valley, a blue tarp. And I'm just like, wow, that's interesting. Somebody's back here. You know, why is there a blue tarp? And then I hear in the front, I think Walter was like, his voice got very agitated and nervous. He's like, hey, 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 oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm like, what is going on? You know, I mean, I'm like in the back of the trail, but what is going, why is everybody stopped and so nervous? And then I look 
to the side, there's a man standing like behind the tree with this like automatic weapon, you know, oh. this gun. And I was like, oh my God, what what's going on? I you know, we did we walk into a marijuana thing, right? Yep. We're in the <laughs> middle of no one knows we're there kind of thing. I was like Oh my God! Turns out they were doe care officers. Oh, they thought, wow. they thought we were the marijuana people. <laughs> Confusion. Confusion. So it was like you know, I, it felt like eternity, but it was probably only five seconds. But it was just like, oh, oh you know, and, and they're looking at me, and you know. Hey, we're teachers, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know? what? <laughs> You're like, what are you guys doing back here? Yeah, they're like, what are you doing here? We're like, we're putting up these signs. <laughs> they're like, we're not Operation Green Harvest. <laughs> I, yeah. That was the time of Operation Green Harvest. Okay, and then to put this story to end, I mean, it, it, you know, we survived. Obviously, they let right. us go. But um, to end this story, it was years later. I was on the island of Lanai actually, and I was sitting in uh, um, Albert Morita's uh, house, I think, and he he was working with DLNR, don't care actually, and there was somebody sitting with him and we're just talking story. I was there for another volunteer thing. And I looked at this guy. I was like, God, you look familiar. And he's like, yeah, you look familiar too. We're like, Wailau Valley. (laughs) (laughs) 19, you know, 80, whatever. He was the guy I I went. Oh my God. It was crazy. And we were just like, oh my God, do you remember that? We're like, yeah, I remember that was crazy. That's wild. Did anyone ever find any Pakalolo growers? In the valley? Either one of you? We didn't. So I think it was maybe abandoned or, you know, maybe they were just out at the time. But Uh, um, yeah, so that kind of shows how naive I was, too. It's like, oh, yeah, look, somebody put a tarp up, you know? (laughs) Not thinking, like, why would somebody put a tarp up in the middle of Wailau Valley? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize Doe Care was that kind of hardcore, like going out camping and I thought it was all like easy peasy helicopter. Yeah. So then the helicopters were coming in and out. Yeah. I mean, they were serious. They were serious. So conservation, even as an educator, (laughs) you got to watch out, you know? It's true though. I mean, not to, you know, make light of it, but... I mean, when we were up in Kapunakea, you know, I was a preserve manager for TNC on Maui. I mean, uh, that whole side had been like cleared, frankly, by Apocalolo growers and the weeds (laughs) had moved in, you know, and like Pat Biley would tell me the stories about the camps they would find up there. And you really did have to just be cautious in those days. Kauai was similar. Yeah. We ran into some sketchy situations there <laughs> just in the back where you know you're just not expecting to see anyone or anything and just like it's okay we're botanists like hands up I know, <laughs> I know. we're just we, teachers we, yeah. we believe in the plants <laughs> yeah. go, go about your business please no problem I have no problems with this thing yeah. oh my gosh so I mean here we are we're like trying to tease like okay what profound you know wilderness experiences have you had uh, and I, like- I rarely tell this that story <laughs> and there's only a few people who've heard it but wow. yeah but you know that I, I know I think you asked about a special place so I have to say even though I'm you know born and raised on Oahu love I love all the islands really and through my work I was able to I have been able to go to most of the islands except Niihau um, but my um, I, I really have a connection to Molokai I really, mm. really do. So um, that's, you know, through going to Kamako, through going to Moomomi, Wailau, Kalau Papa, um, just uh, so, and the people there obviously are, are really wonderful. So that's that's where I, I hope to, to retire some, oh, someday. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So mm-hmm. was there somebody over there that you connected with? I'm sure there's so many people, right? But I mean, I think of Molokai for our listeners, you know, um, most, you know, imagine most of most of you folks know that Molokai has never ceded itself to commercial development, which is makes it a special place for that reason. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Well, you know, I was I was lucky to have worked with the Nature Conservancy for almost 20 years. Yeah, So that was where I built my career after Moana Lua Gardens Foundation. And then well, I was with Bishop Museum after that for a while um, doing environmental education. Um, but then um, the Nature Conservancy. And so one of my uh, roles, uh, several, but it was to train docents. And you, you know this, Melissa, through Waikamoi, right? I was training mm-hmm. volunteers to mm-hmm. lead hikes. So I would go to Kamako, Moomomi, I would train um you know, not train, but I would put together a program for volunteers to learn natural history, cultural yeah. history, be able to interpret it for um, the public. So I got to learn about these, you know, amazing places and meet uh, the, you know, incredible people who live there and, you know, um, whether born and raised there or just moved there, but really love the place. But what I want to say is I was also really fortunate to um, help with the Earth Day Um mm. Ed Misaki, you know, he he was the director of TNC Molokai for a long time, just recently retired. But we worked together to um, not start the Earth Days because it, it had already started as a community gathering, but really built it up. Um, and he had a vision. We're going to have entertainment. We're going to have all these, you know, conservation booths, which is pretty typical. But, you know, we have schools. We'll do it at the Michupau Ole Center in Kaunakakai. And for Molokai, you know, there's not a lot of other um, things going on. Things going on, yeah. right? So, yeah. I mean, there family things, sure, but in terms of if you have a you know big name entertainment or whatever, yeah. people are going to come. So yeah. we had, I would say, the I'm going to say this, the best Earth Days. I bet. Yeah. In the state. I bet. Um, for many years, for many, many, and it was a regular. It became a tradition, and I think I went maybe for at least a dozen years, 15 years straight. Um, And, you know, I I think they still do it, but at a smaller scale. Um, But through that, oh, I got to meet so many people, teachers, of course, but also the people doing conservation work. And, you know, agencies would fly over to Molokai. They'd be like, when are we going to do Earth Day? You know, we want to come out of it. Yeah, it was just the funnest thing. So, um, yeah, it's it's really an incredible community there. I'm curious about, you know, I've been like diving into... <clears throat> Hawaiian sovereignty uh, movements mm-hmm. in the 70s and the energy from that time, which I can only imagine was pretty intense, you know, and I don't know how it was on Molokai. And I wonder like if that was, if if the energy behind local initiatives, um, you know, Hawaiian cultural driven things on Molokai, was there, was there some of that coming forward, you know, then, or was it just the spirit of the island, you know, a spillover and into the eighties, you know, from that energy where people were really like, we're going to, we're going to make some changes. We're, we're going to really connect with the land. We're going to, you know, all of that. Right. I'm thinking about the time preceding that and then maybe setting it up for this wonderful community-based, you know, events that you're talking about. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't feel like I am the person to really talk about the, the history of the island of the people that much. Um, yeah. But I, I, I know there are, you know, definitely people in the community who are still active, um, mm-hmm. who are, you know, considered the mentors, you know, whether people agree with them or not, but just um, really pushed, uh, pushed this conversation forward, like Walter Ritty, you know, who's still... Right. Um, still there i mean i yeah. gosh he is he's amazing you know i think yeah. he still runs like sprints you know right now <laughs> he's, i mean very physically very um very uh, able um, mentally all there and still mm-hmm. just you know spiritually and not everyone agrees with him of course but you know that's part of how you get conversations going yeah yeah, um, yeah. And- i was just like getting that connection to um, I mean, connecting the dots, like kind of what M- Melissa's coming at is like, how is that maybe more directly connected to kind of environmentalism and conservation, right? Where it's like that idea of it's like, it's all about the land, right? I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're kind of 
we were like kind of these parallel movements where you kind of have conservation, which is more, you know, about species protection and right. stuff. And it seems to be to us, that it's kind of was more of like an agency, maybe like almost like a, this kind of top down thing. And so we're kind of, you know, just always curious about how it was connected and not from um, the more community side of things, bottom up. And I mean, sovereignty was a big part of that. Right. Um, well, I think part of that is, is, and that this is what we try to do here in our work today, you know, with Maloma Learning Center and other um, groups is, is really try to have people understand, know, learn, and love where they are. Right. And, and that's mm-hmm. part of knowing the names of these places. Uh, and right. I'm talking, you know, the traditional names, right? Yeah. What What is the name? Why is it named that? Um, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. A- and then learning the stories, the, the mo'olelo, the history, mm-hmm. uh, then learning the plants and then learning the birds and that whole connection to, to really open up your eyes uh, to that and, and then start building that love for it. I mean, yeah. you might already love it because I, you know, grew up there, but do you really know it? And and why this kind of, um, not why, but one of the examples of this is I was working with a teacher at um, Nanakuli uh, High and Intermediate School, and she, one of the top teachers, teacher of the year kind of thing, uh, teaching science. And we started a summer school program called the Malama Aina Field School, which we still continue. We, we just finished our 10th year. And we were learning um, about the names of the back of the valley, you know, the, the peaks, Palikea, mm-hmm. you know, Mauna Kapu. And there was an oli that Kalehua Krug, actually, he, he's now the po'o of Kavaihona um, uh, Charter School, but he wrote an oli naming these places. So we were, you know, trying to learn that, teaching it to the kids. And she was, she just said, you know, I've been coming to this school, working here for seven years. I never thought to to learn these names. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't know there were names. Yeah, you know, I just thought it was the mountains, um, and that clicked in her, and I think really stuck with her, and even made her a better teacher. And 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 it it clicked with me too. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, these names are important. Uh, yeah. They're not just names. They they are part of you know, the identity, yeah, of, of this place and of the, of the people and the stories that they can tell. So yeah. I think that's really an important part of, of what we do as educators is to 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 help people discover these uh, many layers of a place so that they can better take care of them. More and more people are learning this and... and yeah building their knowledge base and their connection of to Aina. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work with kids a lot. And, you know, it's really beautiful to see them. Um, they already, you know, especially the, the Leeward Coast kids, they, they're already very well connected. I mean, they're probably, yeah. you know, better swimmers than I'll ever be or, yeah. you know, yeah. fishers yeah. and hikers uh, may not know, uh, uh, you know, the species, but just, you know, are, are more than halfway there. Right. But mm-hmm. just have that love for Aina and, and really feel like I had a, a student say a quote, you know, the Aina is like a mother to me, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's part of my family. Do you see them just, you know, kind of diving in when it comes to like the biology, like ecosystem stuff. I mean, I can imagine they're just like sponges as far as like, oh my gosh, you know, all, you know, some, some of the things like if you are, you know, with Malama Learning Center, bringing that maybe into some places or giving them that perspective that they kind of haven't seen, maybe work that like Anu guys are doing with restoration. Do you see that, you know, being important? Are you kind of preaching to the choir with these, with a lot of the kids already, or are they... Yeah, it, you know, every every child is different, and what what you know their interests are is different and background. I don't think we're preaching to the choir, though. I mean, we we might be, um, you know, this is their backyard, so they might know it better than I do. But in terms of restoration, that concept of you know, restoration conservation, these these species, that's pretty new to almost all of them. Okay. Pretty right. new, and and planting a native tree very uh, unlikely right you know so but the beauty of it is i mean you give them a shovel 
they'll dig the best <laughs> hole. You know, I right, think right. they work so hard. Whereas yeah. I hate to say it, the town kids, you know, it's kind of like, <laughs> how, do, how, does, how do you turn the shovel on? You know, I mean, yeah. uh, how does this right. work? Oh where's the plug? Oh yeah, where's the plug? I'm like, oh my God. So, uh, yeah, that's why I love working on the leeward side. And, you know, it's, um, how do you change? How do you adjust that messaging or the even just the whole thing for kids that are kind of coming from these urban areas? And, and you know, is there a, like strategies, little tricks that you use, like where you have to like back up and be like, these are gloves. We protect our- <laughs> <laughs> this, is dirt, this is soil. It's okay to get dirty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I've had students who are like wearing, you know, white shoes, right? I'm oh, like, yeah. why are you doing this? And right. they're like, oh, my mom's going to get so mad. It gets yeah. dirty. Well, you know, well, you shouldn't have worn these shoes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, heartless in that way. But it's like, <laughs> you know, you, you take them where they are right and they're totally uncomfortable you you know you don't want them to you know find it excruciatingly painful because they'll never come back so you you want to take them where they are and guide them and always treat people you know with with love and respect and i think that that comes back to you but it is yes i mean some and some students just aren't into it right they're just like "Uh," you know and so you just find a place for them to do something that they feel comfortable doing um but for the most part and this is you know where i kind of have a, a a a little chip on my shoulder about this where you know some some schools are like well you know, take these kids. These are the kids that really, oh, you know, want to like work with them because they, they really like hands on stuff. And and you know what I'm talking about, right? Take the kids who nobody else wants in their classrooms because they they might be troublemakers or they, you know, they don't listen and whatever. So yeah, this is not adapted to like that rigid structure. Of yeah. Like so it's like, you yeah. know, yeah, your program is good for them. Mm. And I, I'm like, yeah, I agree. It is good for them, but I think it's good for everybody. Everybody, totally. yeah. I think everybody needs this. Totally. You know? Even if they don't like it, even if they're not gonna like do that, yeah. and be, that's not gonna be. Here's a thing that an, a friend of mine told me years and years ago. Uh, my dear friend Martha Ma, who would, is from New York City, and she lived in. Um, Hawaii for a long, long time and did education too and taught in like rough areas in all of, you know, Oahu. But she would take her students and her friends and her family would be visiting and she'd just run them through, you know, these hardcore hikes and they'd be complaining the whole time. And she'd be like, yeah, but that's afterwards they brag. You know, right. oh, <laughs> I did this thing. And, right. and I love that philosophy of you just drag people you know, provided yeah. you're not like there, no one's sustaining any life-threatening injuries <laughs> and you just force them because right. they're going to complain, even the ones that aren't into it. But in the end, it's good for them. And they have that experience, right? I mean, to a yeah. certain degree. Now you're doing this professionally. I can do this. I yeah. can wear people out with my friends and family, but. <laughs> I, I think you're right because, you know, for all of us, right? Sometimes the hardest things that we overcome or the fear. I've had students be like, I cannot finish this hike, you know, whether they're afraid of heights or or just physically, you know, I I can't do it. And we don't force them, but we're kind of like, well, we're kind of in the middle of it. So you either got to stay here and wait for the group or keep going. Um, Yeah. and, And then, you know, some of them just persevere. We, you know, we have a guide with them. They're, they might be the last one getting there to get there. You know, everyone cheers them on. But that's that's what they remember. And they're so proud. And I'm proud. You're like, you overcame your fear. Um, right. and, and now, you know, you can do anything. And so... And a good teacher, they recognize that, right? That when, as a teacher, you're proud of them and that, you know, yeah. what it's sort of really huge for self-respect and all yeah. that. And that's just what I love about the kids too. You know, it's like um, kids can be mean. I mean, people can be mean, right? But if mm-hmm. you if you show how to really treat people with the aloha that you want right. um, and, and model that and, you know, really encourage that and, and uh, you know, reward that in a sense, it's contagious. Mm-hmm. And that's just the most beautiful thing when, when um, the kids are supporting each other. 
and and you don't have to say it, you right. know, and it just becomes part of of what they do and who they are. I I think every child has that uh, capacity totally. to do that. So you know that's kind of you know we're teaching the science, we're teaching all that, but I I really do think. Um, you know, we're teaching about being, being good people mm-hmm. and, right. and being uh, people who, who you know, we want in society, right? Who, who right. we want to to um, help us in conservation, but help us just make the world, you know, better. So, uh, you know, luckily the schools are, you know, um, really focusing in more on this and especially after COVID because it was so mm-hmm. tough for kids yeah, with the yeah. isolation totally. and everything. Totally. So they're really um, focusing on what they call SEL, social emotional yep. learning. Yep. And that is, you know, you can get that through Aina, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That you, yeah. you can, like being out there and just being with people and the the collaboration and, you know, projects, planting a tree together, mm-hmm. yep. you know, yep. feeling that success. Uh, that's, I think, the beauty of, of what we can do with AINA-based education. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and certainly providing opportunities, I mean, socially emotional learning that, again, in like a rigid sort of desk space front classroom situation, they, they're just, none of that was really designed for that. You know, fundamentally, it's kind of really... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. backwards in a sense. I mean, fa- well, I mean, factory, factory work. Exactly. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> well, I, well, you know, I always will play. <laughs> but yeah, basically, um, which is so uh, like a kind of the antithesis to that. The, the work that, right, you're introducing them to potential work. I mean, and I, I kind of have a question, but I mean, I may hold off for the moment, but about, about where, you know, see, you can see some of these students where they want to go and the things that they want to do. But I, I think before that, I actually had kind of a selfish question because this is something I've been meaning to ask you for, for so long and mm-hmm. I never had a chance um, because I know through the Nature Conservancy and your work with Honouli Uli that you were doing a lot of um, kind of like fire related outreach, you know, and this stuff. And I feel that that's some part of, um, I look at it as pretty foundational. I mean, there's a lot more obviously work now in that realm, but I'm just kind of curious about some of your experiences with that and lessons learned and like kind of that focus. I mean, obviously folks maybe that are listening to know that I, I do a lot on fire science side, but we, you know, I don't think that's a lot of, a lot of people know about that history. Um, mm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now you're bringing back all these memories, flooding back, Clay. Good. Um, so yeah, Honoluli is on the, the west side of the Waianae Mountains. I mean, the, the southern part of the Waianae Mountains. It's very dry. Um, and you know, it's not like a rainforest, but there are pockets of very special native species, some only found there, you know, and then the snails, right, the academic snails and, you know, the insects. So it that's why the Nature Conservancy, you know, was there. There's, there's um, some really rare things. And so we were trying to do outreach and plant trees and stuff. And it, it's very difficult because it's a mostly non-native forest. But every now and then there would be those wildfires, right? And most of them are started by people, either intentionally mm-hmm. or not. Um, and, you know, we were right by the Army, right? The Army garrison there. Um, and I really learned, right, when these fires happened that the, you know, Honolulu Fire Department, their number one goal is to protect people and property, right? So, yeah. I mean, thank God for that, right? Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the wildfires and there's no people up there or, or you know, physical property, that's kind of like lower tier, right? So then yeah. you get DOFA volunteers, um, I mean, I volunteer DOFA firefighters, but their resources, you know, pale into comparison, yeah. you know. So like the militia, of- they got to like rally, come off the, wherever their day job is, yeah. Right, right. You know, find your jacket, you know, find your boot. Uh, and they're great. I mean, gosh, they work so hard. And, you know, we had like two people, right, who could help. I mean, I was one of them, right? I'm just like, what good am I going to do? But um, the, I really learned, like, from Pat Costales, who is the mm. Dofa Oahu um, manager at that time. Um, he, gosh, he really guided me because I was like, you know, I was kind of like the preserve director over there. I don't know what I was doing, but I knew that these fires are bad. They're mm. going to burn 
what we have there and there's very little left. And so he would teach me about incident command and how to get, you know, these different resources involved and how to try to get the army involved. Um, Cause they got the big helicopters, right? Yep. They got this. So I, you know, luckily was able to use that opportunity as a teaching opportunity um, for the personnel as well. So I would make pictures of the snails you know, pictures of the birds. Right. And I'd be like, we're trying to protect these things. Mm-hmm. These, This is what's up there, yeah. you know, right. so we kind of need your help. You know, I know it looks like just bushes, but this is where they live. And, um, you know, they probably look at me like, what is this lady doing? You know, but I, I would be there every day because these fires would last weeks, yeah. right, to, to really yeah. put out completely. Yeah. And then, you know, get on the news and try to really push this concept. Like, mm. it's not just a fire. This is... This is the habitat. This is the history. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, I mean, fires are still happening, right? It didn't yeah. stop right. the fires. But it's, I, I think the awareness hopefully mm-hmm. is growing even among, you know, the fire department and then those folks that, yes, these places are, like, we got to stop them from getting into the forest. And, um, and yeah. to give people context, too, um, this was before or after the lawsuits um, were happening, which again brought so much funding through the oh, army. Oh, you mean Natural for the Resources. army? It was around the, that, time. that time. It was okay. about that so time. But those early, yeah. early nineties, yeah. mid nineties, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, because um, for our listeners who don't know, yeah. um, the army um, has, of course, been training in Makua Valley and elsewhere, mm-hmm. and these starting these fires, and the fires go up into the into the forest reserves. But they also these lawsuits, um, you know, about endangered species are what mm-hmm. helped. The army realize and fund these this their huge natural resource program, which of course that's still on. You know, the fires are still going on, but you were you're what you're describing is sort of like right at the onset of that, or right before that, right? It was around that time. But thank you for bringing that up because that was my segue to the army saying. You're, you're trying to protect these species, and some of them are in here, you know, so you can't continue to train in Makua. So you need these species to still be here. Right. You know, right. if you let them burn, you're not going to be able to train in Makua. So that's, that's the kind, I mean, that's just the reality, yeah, right? Of that, course. That was the plan, right? Mm-hmm. To have these satellite populations so that if Makua burns, they, they don't, don't go extinct. Yeah. So, right again, so for context too, in the settlement from this lawsuit that was brought by by um, Alama Makua really pushed this forward. I think it was like Earth Justice, Earth Justice you know, actually, right yeah, took them to court, the uh, D- Department of Defense to court. And essentially what it was that because they've already had these impacts that they need to protect these, as you said, Pauline, like these satellite populations. So these are populations and areas that are not on military lands, but they contain the species that were impacted. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a really kind of incredible um resource for the state uh, and effectively that that this program is funded um, and continues to be funded to protect these species um, and and that's just like you know full disclosure I work with them directly right so this is kind of a what we're trying to figure out is how do we take the lessons learned from a like, highly well resourced program and kind of extend that to other parts of the state um, mm-hmm. and I, you know there's arguments to be made there that I think one of the fundamental problems is that everywhere else doesn't have those kinds of resources. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really a challenge for uh, like our watershed partnerships and mm-hmm. even agencies like Nature Conservancy to replicate the effort that they're able to do in those places elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so did they, going back to your story, Pauline, did the commanders listen to you <laughs> once you started getting, you know, on the news? And uh, other- no, I don't think it was because of me. I mean, there are higher pressures, right? But it, yeah. um, um, but I, yeah, I think they really realized, yeah. So we had the Sikorsky helicopters coming in and, and bring, wow. you know, some water, um, you know, and as I think about it, it's like, wow, these fires are so small in comparison to the fires now, you know, <sighs> like, um, which is sad, right? But uh yeah, it I, doesn't I, take much, right? As far no. as like a small footprint of a fire having right. major impacts, because right. again, like our the ecosystems here don't recover. It's just no. a combination of the weeds and and you know after the fact. Um, 
Yeah, so it is, you know, it's still a, a burning desire for me to teach about <laughs> wildfires because <laughs> it, it is a, a, like one of the number one threats, right? Yeah, Invasive species totally, and wildfires yeah. go hand in hand. And back to the teaching part, you know, we would take kids on hikes and the mountains are green, right? You know, at, in the springtime after a good burn, you'll see lots of guinea grass growing. Yeah. And they're like, oh, wow, it's recovering. Yeah, it's looking. <laughs> so green nice and, and green. Uh, yeah. I'm just like oh I hate to be the you know Debbie Downer but that is not good um, right. and they're like what are you talking about you know I'm like okay it's it's transformed right mm-hmm. it's becoming yeah. the grassland yeah. that was once a, a native forest mm-hmm. yeah and it's incredible just to just like briefly a couple of conversations I've had with some older old timers from Nanakuli who were saying yeah they used to be like Willy Willy and mm-hmm. Nile right in our backyards there and mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah. So that change I mean they're not even that old like that change right. can happen within a lifetime where that's right. it's just converted completely to something yeah. else it's yeah. it's really sad and then you get what we call the shifting baseline right so right. people think oh it's you're su- it's supposed to look like this right you know right. and then the next generation oh it's supposed to look like that and then it gets yeah. just worse and worse you know so how do we bring that back right so even us trying to rebuild a forest mm-hmm. um you know, as, as, you know, a smaller footprint as we have, but it, we're trying to create a new footprint. Yeah. A, yeah. a, new, a new imagery of what the, the, the land maybe once looked like and can look like again. What it could be. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of like, technological like, I mean, I'm, I'm a visual artist too. Right. Mm-hmm. And so Marigold and I have talked about like, some wild ideas about like VR, you know, like imagery, film, um, you know, Lisa Rehana, who went to the Venice Biennial for New Zealand, did an astonishing, I mean, it was like a 60 foot by like 10 foot, like high resolution video. And she focused on colonialism and she focused on like some very powerful images that were printed in the 1700s from Captain Cook's voyages and 1800s. And they were printed and they were, they, her, her project focused really on like life in the, at the contact time, which was amazing to see at the Honolulu Museum for, look her up if you've, if you've ever seen her. And I, I thought that would be incredible to do something like that for, Landscape you know, reconstruction, yes, kind of a, exactly, yeah. and to have it yeah. be immersive, and to have it. So we're putting mm-hmm. that out there for you, visual artists, to think about <laughs> as an idea, because I think those of us who study these things, we have a picture mentally right. of what that looks like. I do that on, on my canvases sometimes. Whatever tools we can use to get mm-hmm. people excited about what might that that might look like and how they might be involved. And one thing Margold and I talked about was like, we have to have people in there too, right? Because it's yeah, oftentimes of too separated. And like, how, what would we be like interacting with this idea of what a forest or a landscape re- restored might look like? So I don't know. I just think That's about great. different ways to... Mm-hmm. There's something related to that actually that I, I was I'm curious what your thoughts are, Pauline, what, in terms of accessibility. And there's like two pieces to that. I mean, in one sense, accessibility to a lot of these, like, you know, the high best quality ecosystems. I mean, I always laugh. It's like they think of kind of that traditional conservation is like people aren't part of these, but it's like mm-hmm. so ironic. It's like people are a hundred percent a part of that because without people, they're not going to persist. Right. We need yeah. to be out there weeding and doing this hard work. But I get, I guess more to my point is that they're hard to get to. Right. And, right. and for anybody who's mm-hmm. even capable, um, but also in the sense of folks that aren't able physically mm-hmm. to get to these places, I'm just kind of curious about what your thoughts are on teaching tools and methods. How do we connect more people, um, given both of those contexts to, to these places? No, I, I agree, too. It's like, you know, like even Kaala, right? Malkala, that that's like the gem for us here. Mm-hmm. But do you really want hundreds of people going there every day, grabbing right. trees to get their grip or whatever. I mean, the the place would be destroyed. So, uh, yeah, I think about that a lot. And, you know, with the work that we do um, at Malama Learning Center, we actually are 
you know, working at some of the most degraded places, you know. And when we worked, when I worked at the Nature Conservancy, there's no way we would have worked there, right? right. Melissa, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's like that it, oh, it, it did not fit the criteria. <laughs> well, I know. You know? Um, so it's like, why are you working there? It's like red dirt. It's only weeds um, or whatever. And I'm like, okay, if I had a choice, I would work at a place that had the natives. But I'm thinking of how people get there. Yeah. Right. If a yeah. school bus can get there, yeah. um, if there's restrooms nearby, you know, the comforts, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's already degraded. And look, we have a whole uh, landscape we can work with. Blank canvas. It's harder, right? It's harder yeah. for conservation. Active conservation is much harder than the passive one where you're, you know, building a fence and just keeping the animals out. But yep. this one, we got to build it from the ground up. Yeah. But so it's very, very challenging. And, um, you know, we're, we're not doing it to reforce all of Y&I. We, we can't do it right. ourselves. But what we're trying to do is show people the possibilities and, mm. and you know, what can be done. But it, it's, it's actually really remarkable because it's very accessible. And I think that's key. We've got to make conservation accessible to the average person and not just like, oh, you got to be the elite or you got to or you got to pay a lot of money to go on this hike. Um, That's not what it's about. This is we want we need people to feel um, like this is their kuleana, too. And how do they how can they do that with without the access? So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, even though it's the most degraded places, there's a student told me once she's like oh i am not from this area because i was asking them to find you know ask their kupuna history about the place and learning she's like i'm not from this area but um i'm you know from another part of of y and i uh but get plenty places that look like this you know so can i study my place and i was like i'm like you are exactly on point That's the whole point. You study your place. And if everybody took care of their place, Mm -hmm. we would be taking care of, you know, all of all of where we live. So I think that's that's the concept we're trying to build. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I wonder, you must, you've touched so many lives, <laughs> Pauline. <laughs> I'm sure you've had so many people say this to you. I mean, I think about people who've talked about you, like Kuhea and, oh. you know, on Maui. And I I feel like maybe you and I met in, when was the Smith Street office with Colleen mm-hmm. Corey, like in oh. the olden oh, times. <laughs> maybe we met there. I don't know, it was a while ago, but... <laughs> When we were still working on DOS computers. DOS computers and heritage, you know, database. For those of you who don't know this, there was a whole effort of like what Clay's doing now with fire mapping. That whole thing happened, starting with the Nature Conservancy. But all on paper maps with little stickers for rare and endangered species right we had to get an understanding of where these things were and whatever and that all happened a while ago a few decades (laughs) i won't give the exact number but um yeah i i mean i think about so many people that you know you have helped understand you know these things and like do you hear from from folks later you know, I just wonder. Well, yeah, I, I'm lucky that I get to see some folks like Kapua Cavello. Yeah. She was one of my students. Um, and then she hired, you know, I mean, not, I don't know if she hired, but like David Hoppy Cruz is on their um, yeah. program. He was one of my students. And his son is one of my students, too. So it's like, I'm, I'm like 2-2 level. But, you know, that's just <laughs> wonderful that you have the, the generational, you know, yeah. and the people, you know, they call me auntie. I mean, they started calling me that a long time ago, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah. But it, it is funny because, I, I mean, I don't feel that old, but I obviously am. And, you know, like the kids are, you know, they, when they interview me for their projects, they, they inevitably come up with this um, question. You know, you've been doing this for so long. You know, you've you've touched a lot of people. Um, Then they're like, "How do you stay motivated?" Oh my god! Well, we weren't going to ask that one. I know. And then I'm thinking, 
not by that question, you know. <laughs> That's but, hysterical. Um, you know, it, it, it is funny because they're just like, God, how does she keep doing it, you know? And it's right. like, no, it, it really, and when a child asks me that, it's just like, yeah, it's when people, you know, your age are into this yeah. and getting and asking questions and wanting more. That's what keeps me motivated yeah. is um, the what it, you know, the, the inspiration that that continues to thrive and grow and, and go beyond, you know, what, what I ever imagined. Are you I'm curious of kind of the questions that you get about careers. Careers, that, that's kind of how I got started in the Nature Conservancy is to develop a conservation career program. So, um, but that was looking at careers, you know, within the conservation biology realm, right? right. But, but then we, we did expand. We're like, okay, geology, um, you know, cultural science, that's part of being, yeah. you know, in this career. And Educators. Now, now, yeah, now we, we have this program we call the Hawaii Green Collar Institute, like Green Collar Jobs. Yeah, and yeah, we, yeah. we really expanded a chef a farmer, mm, you know, right. a teacher, an artist, mm-hmm, right? Because mm-hmm. all of these, you know, if you are cooking with locally grown foods or mm-hmm. you're, you know, painting the mm-hmm. the um, the images of, of our native species, like you're part of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that really opens up the, the, the doors, you know, a lawyer, right? Obviously, it's, it's, um, all these things, like you don't have to be, the marine biologist, right, which right. you know most kids want to, right? And like, I want to be a marine biologist. I want to swim with dolphins. Sign me up. In the back of my head, you know how many few jobs there are. But, uh, but yeah, you yeah. know, if you expand it, yeah, you, there's a lot of different jobs at NOAA. My goodness, how many people work for NOAA? Right, all mm. the different jobs that are there. And what we try to teach them too is like maybe the job doesn't exist. But yeah. that that doesn't mean it can't, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you can create it like the be the entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. we've we've kind of coined the term Ainapreneur, oh. you know, <laughs> you can be the Ainapreneur and, right. and take it how, you know, how you want to. And yeah. that's that's beautiful. Well, if I could add one thing, you know, and Clay and you know, Melissa, you probably might appreciate this. Like, my my love and passion is for native species. Yeah. You know, that's like number one. But um, I really, I mean, I grow non-native stuff as long as they're not invasive, right? Because right. we need to eat. Mm-hmm. We like to make lay, mm-hmm. and you know, if that's if that's part of the the fabric, right? That we're trying to create. So um, we really, I think, open open the. Don't don't close the doors on people, you yeah. know. Just because yeah. they might not know that that's a native tree or might not really care, like if it's part of the bigger picture, caring yeah. for Aina, yeah. and yeah. and so you know, the more we can promote that, I think the better Hawaii will be. Yeah, and all the avenues that are available. Like we talked about that with Nan Kabatbat. Like that, it doesn't have to be like you're. She was talking about like the pine trees in her backyard right. as a kid, right? And like that's something that really grounded her to that place. Um, I I actually do have another question, and I, I mean it's not a not anything trick or surprise. It's related to what we've kind of you know been talking about. But I'm really curious as to, and and I'm also like asking this for some colleagues of mine who have asked me, how do we kind of increase awareness kind of like within the bigger community, you know, legislatures and stuff like they're always like, how come no one gets what we do? Like, these are the guys doing like the watershed work. How come like, basically they're like, how come we don't get paid more? But like, how come that doesn't seem that people value this work, you know? And I'm kind of, I, you know, the immediate thought that I came, came to my head when, when I was asked this question most recently was that, you know, you I'm curious now moving into the outside Hawaii and kind of taking on that, uh, what you see as the opportunities there to kind of increase the reach. And does that, do you see like kind of changing your messaging at all or like as a different kind of audience versus what you've been doing with youth education and things uh, prior to that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up because it is a a passion of ours. And for those who don't know, Outside Hawaii is um, the longest running show on Spectrum OC16 and, you know, locally produced. It was produced by my late partner, Cal Hurai. He created it um, and he passed away in 2020 and he asked me to take it over and I'm like what you know Whoa. it's a monthly show i'm like i don't i'm not a tv producer 
but he he created something that that needs to keep going. It's the only thing of its kind like that. And we, you know, we have 30 minutes that we can tell whatever story we want. Um, So sometimes we create our own stories, um, but we also can use other people's stories. And, and, you know, I'm not making it limited to just got to be about plans or just got to be about this. I, I do themes. We show people, we show places, we tell stories and slowly or but surely, you know, people will start hearing and we, we have a pretty big audience. So, you know, I can't say they're all turning into activists and going to vote a certain <laughs> way, but that's part of the fabric, right? That's part right. of what you need to, to build the overall messaging that people understand that invasive species are big issues, right. you know, water conservation, fish ponds are important, you know, all this, um, all these things that they might have heard about, like even my family, I got to say, you know, they're like, well, what is that you're talking about? Like, they don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm like, right. they're watching the show. And then they, it becomes much more clear what we're talking about, why it's important. Yeah. And I imagine you have to kind of like back things up a little bit because it's not as if you have a captured audience of the students who are like sitting on the mountain, like, okay, obviously this is something about trees. Like, I mean, <laughs> like you, you gotta have to start for the fundamentals, which kind of, I bet it's kind of fun to be thinking like, how yeah. do we really, you know, tell the story? Yeah. Um, and, and it is a lot of this is storytelling, even with artwork, right? You're telling a story and that's another career, Right? How right. do you tell stories, whether it's um, in film, video, pictures, podcasts, you know, we, we all um, need to be better storytellers, I think. And, and you know, that's that's part of the challenge and my newest challenge now, I think. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot. That's awesome. Well, Clay or Pauline, anything more to add? Gosh, we've covered a lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was kind of an amazing uh, <laughs> trip through it. Like, I mean, yeah, right. Or like, you know, as a kid's channel surfing and, and watching Wild Kingdom, which yeah, I love that. And folks out there, check out Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom because no, 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 Hawaii. check out Outside Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, no, excuse me. Um, just to, just to, for the full panoply of. <laughs> experience started there and then it ends with this incredible yeah. show which can you tell us um we can plug your show when yeah and where so oc16 so spectrum oc16 we're um uh, typically on on sundays at 6 p.m uh and then throughout the week too at like 9 30 a.m or 4 a.m you know okay. uh and and our shows are recycled but if you don't have spectrum which you know i don't i know many people don't we also put our episodes on our website so that you can watch it at any time so okay. that's um just look at uh, malamalearningcenter.org and there's a link to our outside hawaii yeah. Pauline, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much, Pauline. This was awesome. Uh, thank you. I appreciate, really appreciate this opportunity. It's like, you know, talking to old friends, which you are. Totally. Um, and yeah, thank you for doing what you're doing because it, oh. it is truly part of what we all need to, you know, be doing and listening yeah. to and, and being the advocates that we can be. So yeah. thank you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs>